Hello, hello. Do I pass for under 18? Go free? Wow, that's harsh. <laughs> so um, a few years ago, I was, uh, I was on my way to a weekend away. Weekends away are amazing. I was uh, in a car with Jen and my wife, who wasn't my wife then. Um, I think we were just dating then. And a couple of other friends from King's. And uh, we were off to the student and 20s weekend away up north. And I didn't have a car back then. So uh, Dan very kindly offered to uh, lend us his car, which was fantastic. But as he handed me the keys earlier that day, he said, OK, just remember one really important thing. The, the tires need more air. Before you leave Edinburgh, you must go and fill the tires up with air. I think he maybe had two slow punctures that he hadn't quite managed to get fixed yet. As, as it turned out, he hadn't topped them up in a while either. So I was like, great, thank you so much, no problem, I'll get that sorted out, brilliant, and then I promptly just completely forgot about it and then filled the car with people and piles of things that we needed to take to the weekend away. And it was okay at first. We were going pretty slowly. We were stuck in slow traffic. It was like a Friday afternoon. We were in Friday rush hour, going really slowly. And it was all going pretty, I wouldn't have noticed anything different. But then we crossed the fourth road bridge at long last. And the traffic started to clear a little bit. And I was able to get up a little bit of speed, hit 50 miles an hour, pulled out to overtake a lorry. And all of a sudden, it felt like I was driving on an ice rink. We just had absolutely no grip whatsoever. The car was veering to the right and to the left. It, just, it felt a little bit like the steering wheel had just kind of disconnected from the wheels, and we were just being carried forward by the momentum uh, that we'd built up. And all I could think about was this reminder for, that Dan had given me earlier in the day, you must put air in the tires. And I was thinking, how could I be so stupid to forget? And Nat, who was uh, in the back of the car, was like, uh, why are you swerving all over the road? <laughs> are, you, are you meaning to do that? Like, I, think he thought was, I think he thought I was pranking him or something. And I was just like, nope. And I don't know if it was my tone of voice or my white knuckles gripping the, gripping the steering wheel, but this tense silence just descended on the car. And I just had to slow right down and drop back behind all the traffic and pull into the inside lane just desperately look for the, the next turn off for the services, which wasn't for a while, so it was a horrible few minutes. But thank goodness, praise the Lord, we made it to the services, we pulled in, and I did what I really should have done before leaving Edinburgh. I filled up the tires with air. It turns out that this is a really, really important thing to do when you're driving. And uh, just as tires need to be filled with air... Followers of Jesus need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to live the lives that God is calling us to live. Now, I'm not just talking about being born again at your conversion through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is, of course, foundational. That is the greatest miracle that any human being could ever experience. But what we're primarily talking about this morning is being filled again and again with more and more of the Holy Spirit's power. The word for Holy Spirit most often used in the Hebrew scriptures is ruach, which literally means wind or breath or air. And uh, in Greek translations of the Old Testament, they used the word pneuma, from which we get 
pneumatic, which basically uh, obviously just means air-powered. So this morning I want you to see that being filled with God's Ruach is, is not an optional extra for the Christian life. He is not an add-on to make your journey that little bit happier or more comfortable, like the, the air from the heater in your car or your air conditioning. He is absolutely essential for your Christian life, like the air in the tires. We're at the start of this series, and we're focusing on the Holy Spirit for the next few months because we believe that God is calling us into a season of receiving more of the Holy Spirit in more power than ever before. This is a really vital part of the vision uh, that God has given us as a church that me and Dan and Luke uh, shared two weeks ago. Now, you might be more familiar with some of the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church, in the New Testament. But as Luke did last week, I'm going to focus this morning on the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is God, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So there is so much that we can learn about who the Holy Spirit is and what he is like in the Old Testament, and I really want us to, to be shaped. I want our expectations to be shaped by looking at him in the Old Testament today. Of course, there's one major difference between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and today. As Luke mentioned last week, in the Old Testament, we typically see the Holy Spirit filling certain people at certain times for certain tasks, when the Spirit was poured out in those days, most people were just bystanders. And my plea to you all this morning is don't be a bystander. Don't just observe. Because now Jesus has won for every one of us by his life, his death, and his resurrection, the opportunity to receive his Spirit and power. And he wants to fill you. So to live the life God is calling you to live, you need more of the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to spend most of our time on this point uh, because the Old Testament does. There are about 80 mentions of the Spirit in the Old Testament, and about half of those describe somebody being given power from God to do something that he has called them to do. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's great, but... I don't have a specific calling on my life from God. But if you are a Christian, you do. You have been given the highest of callings to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, and to make disciples. You've been called to be a witness for Jesus among unbelievers. You're called to be Christ's ambassador, his kingdom's representative in your, your neighborhood, your workplace, and your family, to glorify his name, to be the carrier of his very presence of, of God Almighty wherever you go. That's quite some calling. Do you see yourself that way? Do you see yourself as somebody who has been called by the king of heaven, called by name for a purpose. Because that's who you are if you are a Christian. And this is a calling that you cannot do by yourself. You need the Spirit of God to fill you with his power to live this life. 
Now, last week, Luke uh, looked briefly at Joshua, who was a man who was incredibly qualified in an earthly sense for what God had called him to do. He'd had years and years of on-the-job training. He'd proven himself over and over again. But even he desperately needed Moses, his predecessor, to, to lay hands on him that he might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Earthly strength and capability and experience are no substitute for the power God wants to give you by his Holy Spirit. Your strength is no substitute for the Holy Spirit, and praise God, your weakness is no barrier to receiving the Holy Spirit either. Years after God filled Joshua, he filled a man called Gideon. Gideon was a very different character to Joshua with a very different CV. And we're going to look at this story, which starts in Judges chapter 6. The background is this. The nation is in absolute crisis, the nation of Israel. They had begun to worship other gods, and that had led them into doing a lot of evil. And so God had said, right, there you go. I'll leave you to your evil. And without his protection, their violent neighbors, the Midianites, were coming in and uh, oppressing them for seven long years. Every year at harvest time, these Midianite raiders would come and they would raid and pillage and kill. They would burn every crop uh, or steal it that Israel tried to grow. They would kill or steal every livestock they tried to raise. So their very means of continued existence was being slowly strangled and they were under constant threat. Gideon was nothing special. When we first meet him, he's threshing wheat secretly in an enclosed wine press to hide it from the raiding Midianites. He's frightened and he is despairing. So let's join the story in verse 12. You'll follow along on the screen. If you're following in your Bibles, I'll be jumping a little bit, so just watch out for that. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us, and he's given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Gideon's original skepticism just uh, starts to erode gradually as he kind of begins to realize that he might actually not just be talking to a crazy person, but God himself. So he starts to listen step by step. He starts to obey what God asks him to do. Skipping ahead to verse 33. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. And he sounded the trumpet, and the Abiezrites were called out to follow him. That was his immediate clan. And he sent messengers messengers throughout all Manasseh, his tribe, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, 
neighboring tribes. And they went up to meet them. It was all going so well. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it's dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung out enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me just test once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground, there was dew. So Gideon agreed to go ahead with God's plan. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So God whittled down Gideon's big army of 32,000 people to just 300 warriors and ordered Gideon to approach the enemy camp. The Lord said to him, arise, go down to the camp, for I have given it into your hand. Eventually, Gideon is persuaded. He divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hand. And the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah towards Zerirah. So from hiding away in fear and hopelessness to stunning victory. The verse that is key to that transformation is verse 34 in chapter 6. I hope you heard it. The spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. It wasn't enough for God just to persuade Gideon that he could do what God was asking him to do. Gideon needed power. And this language of being clothed with power by the Holy Spirit is very deliberately echoed in the New Testament as well. In Luke 24, 49, Jesus promised to pour out the Holy Spirit on his disciples by saying, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. In Gideon's story, we see God speaking truth over Gideon. We see that he is the antidote to fear. We see the spirit overcoming cynicism and insecurity. And we see his willingness to encounter Gideon again and again. And by his presence, he brings victory. So God, through his angel, said to Gideon, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, 
Up to this point, there is not much evidence to back up that description of Gideon. But God saw who he'd created Gideon to be when he's full of the Holy Spirit. And I really believe there are characteristics or names that God wants to speak over different ones of you that are true by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ali, I hope you don't mind. I just, before today, I just had a, a picture for you, just kind of as I was writing this section. And I just, uh, just saw a picture of you uh, just laughing, like throwing your head back and just laughing uproariously. And um, I, just, I just got the sense that God wanted to say to you today that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And, uh, you know, you're one of the, the most capable people I think I've ever met. But I think God just wanted to say, he wants to take you to a new level of strength. And, and the way that that will be found is, is through the joy of the Lord. It's receiving the joy that he wants to give you today. I hope you don't mind me sharing that just like this. But I, I believe there are things that God is, is wanting to say to, to others, things he might be whispering directly to you right now about who he's made you to be. And I want to encourage you to receive those things in faith. Thank God by spirit that he can bring them to pass. It might be that you even feel that God's just stirring you prophetically for somebody else. This may be something that you just know, I need to share that with them. I feel like God's saying that to them. And I want to encourage you to just make space for that at the end of the service or sometime maybe in small group. I want us to be a church community that does this for one another, that can just is intent on hearing the voice of God to bring encouragement to one another and speak truth over one another in that way. Gideon faced three major obstacles to walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Fear, cynicism, and insecurity. Gideon couldn't see what God saw about himself and his circumstances because he was trapped in fear. The shadow of the Midianite raiders just coming year after year, oppressing him and his family and his nation, it just worn him down, and he couldn't even bring himself to hope that God might intervene. All he could see was the worst case scenario. Maybe you can relate to that. I've definitely had seasons like that. Perhaps you started your Christian life full of bold faith and expectation. Maybe you even saw God working through you in, in, in great ways, and that was really exciting. And then life just happened, and setbacks came along, and... Maybe you were hurt. Maybe you were even hurt by people in church. And when that happens, fear can so often start to creep in. I don't want to, for one second, diminish the pain of those things, but I really believe that God wants to just gently lift your head again this morning and pour fresh courage into you. It could be that you're sitting there, and maybe you've been sitting there over these past few weeks hearing us talk about being filled afresh with the Holy Spirit and And you're like, yeah, yeah, I would have been so up for that once upon a time. But just over the years, fear maybe 
disappointments, just led you to try and protect yourself and your expectations of what God wants to do in your life and through your life and in this church and in this nation. They've just got smaller and smaller and smaller. And God wants to enlarge your vision. God wants to enlarge our vision this morning for what he wants to do. And he wants to give you fresh hope again. Gideon had experienced years of fear and disappointment. And he thought God had forsaken his people. But God boldly and unashamedly called him into his purposes and empowered him to walk the walk. And he wants to do that for you today. Now you get the sense at the start of this story that Gideon wasn't just infected with fear, as significant as that was. He was also deeply infected with cynicism. He'd allowed it to really take hold, and you can almost hear his sarcasm in his response to God. When God makes a great promise over him, he responds with, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? He, he was well-versed in, in the great deeds of God. You know, he, he, he had all that head knowledge. He knew what God was, was capable of in theory, but he had allowed his experiences just to erode any faith that he once had. And he'd grown bitter and cold as a result. And cynicism is a disease that, if left untreated, it leaves us with our arms folded, just looking around, looking for reasons to withhold our trust or to be dismissive. And that posture can make it a real struggle to joyfully ask for and receive the blessings of God. Cynicism can, I think, particularly affect us when it comes to what we're talking about today, receiving the Holy Spirit. And it can, without a doubt, leave you missing out on the fullness of what God wants to give you. Because God wants us to have childlike faith. And you don't come across many young children who are cynical when they're asking for things. Now, I'm not asking you to be naive. Investigate. Make sure that things pass the test of Scripture before you believe. But God loves it when we approach him with eager expectation to receive what he has promised to give us in his word. In his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul was desperate to... Uh, help the Philippians avoid the snare of cynicism. And the tools he gave them in chapter four are these. Rejoice always. Pray constantly with expectation. Be thankful for what God gives you. And set your mind on the blessings of God, things that are good, pure, praiseworthy, excellent. You know, somebody who is a natural troubleshooter, maybe we could say, with a bit of a skeptical streak. I I know how easy it is to let cynicism into your heart. I want to plead with you this morning. If you you know that you've been struggling, there's some cynicism in your heart, I want to plead with you, tear it out, leave it behind. God has something that is so much better for you. Step out in faith and believe him. And Gideon started out deeply cynical about God's desire or power even to bless him and the people of Israel. Thankfully for him and the people, God called him out of it into spirit-filled action instead. 
He had another issue to overcome, though. He wasn't just cynical towards God. He was also cripplingly insecure in himself. When God says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian, do not I send you? Gideon responds, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Personal insecurity is a tool the enemy loves to use to get you to take your eyes off of God. He wants you to look at your failings, your insufficiency, or, or your past. And, you know, God doesn't ignore those things, and he doesn't even necessarily deny them, but he does give you something that counteracts them all. He gives you his presence. By his Holy Spirit, God himself is with you. And he wants you to be more and more aware of his presence with you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? I want you to imagine a set of scales with all of your inadequacy on one side. When God's presence falls on the other side of the scales, there's no competition. He outweighs everything, all of your shortcomings. And his encouragement to Gideon is what I believe he wants to say to anyone who's having a crisis of confidence in themselves and discounting themselves today. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you. It's not about you. It's about him and what he wants to give you. Now, Gideon's story is is a bit of a roller coaster ride. (laughs) One minute in verse 34, he's, he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's boldly rallying the men of Israel to follow him and fight the enemy. And then the next, just two verses later, he's having renewed doubts and asking God for yet more proof that he's with him. I think there's so much we could say about uh, the fleeces that Gideon famously lays for God, these tests that he gives God. I, I think it's clear that it's not Gideon's proudest moment. Even he seemed to know he wasn't really meant to be doing it because he asks God not to be angry with him as he does it. Gideon had been clothed with God's spirit, but he still hesitated and stumbled. And I do think there's a a helpful realism in this story that we should find encouraging because our walks with God can be a bit up and down sometimes, right? But like he does with Gideon, God isn't going to give up on you. He is set on leading you through to victory by his power. It's so interesting that God didn't just throw his hands up in the air and go, oh, Gideon, why are you so useless? Like, I've, 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 I've given you everything you need, and now, now you're just, keep coming back to me, keep having these doubts. I'm, I'm going to go find somebody else who is a little more decisive and can get the job done. He doesn't say that. I felt God highlighting something for us in this. In order for Gideon to keep walking into the things that God had called him to do, he needed ongoing encounters with the living God. And so do we. Now, I'm not validating Gideon's doubts or his fleece laying, but at least he went back to God with his worries and his doubts. He didn't just throw in the towel, and he also didn't just rest on his laurels and say, I have everything I need for this task because I was filled with God's spirit back in 1996. He needed a fresh encounter with God and encouragement, and we need that all the time. 
We must go on being filled with the Holy Spirit because ups and downs come, but God always has more of himself to pour into us. He is so happy to oblige because he knows that we need him. He knows we need him every day, and he wants to keep filling us again and again with more of his power. So God, he spoke truth over Gideon. He overcame Gideon's fear, his cynicism, and his insecurity with his Holy Spirit's power, and he gave him ongoing encounters with himself. I want you to just see one last thing in this story. I want you to notice that the means of Gideon's spirit-empowered victory against the Midianites are odd. Like, God asked him to send most of his army home, And then instead of attacking the Midianite camp in a a daring special forces night raid, he he just asks them to go up to the edge of the camp, not even fight, not even draw swords, just blow trumpets, smash jars, and shout. It's a bit weird. And you won't find that in many military manuals. Now, maybe, maybe they were trying to disorientate the guards who had just come onto the watch uh, maybe there was some, some strategy to it, but it's a risky strategy. As I say, they didn't even have their swords out ready to fight. You can kind of imagine these great warriors of Israel being a bit like, really? Is this a good idea? Because we're, we're good at fighting. Let us go fight. But Gideon's like, no. Trumpet in one hand, torch in another, smash the jar, shout. God's going to come through. Here's the thing. The way the spirit operates is sometimes a bit weird. And when he fills people or gives gifts to the spirit, it can sometimes seem strange to us. He may ask you to do things that you wouldn't choose to do. He may ask you to do things in ways that you wouldn't have picked. And I think this can be a big stumbling block to cool, cultured Edinburgh residents because we kind of like things to be a bit understated. We like everything to be very explainable. We're going to speak more later on in this series about some of the gifts of the Spirit that might be a bit more confusing or maybe just unusual, like tongues and prophecy in particular. But with these things, we must be careful not to dismiss them just because they're culturally unusual or that they're not what we're used to in our background. It is really, really important for all of us to remember that we are not God. And we don't get to tell him how to go about his business. We're not even owed a detailed explanation of his methods. He says, my ways are not your ways. It's his mission, his methods for his glory. I hope that you've realized this morning that you desperately need more of the Holy Spirit to live the life that God is calling you to live. So what must we do to be filled with more of his power? Well, like Joshua, we must first realize that the strength we do possess is not an adequate substitute for his power. Like Gideon, we must realize that the weaknesses we have are no barrier to receiving the Holy Spirit. We've got to trust him with our fears. and We've got to leave our cynicism and our insecurity behind at his feet so that we can come to God with eager expectation. And we've got, to, we've got to keep coming to him again and again and asking for more and more of his spirit's power. Amen? 
I just want to address one last issue that some of you might be struggling with. Maybe we could have the, the band back up. For many of you, your, your instinct is that the Holy Spirit couldn't possibly come into your life because you know your life is a bit of a mess. The natural response, I think, is, yeah, great. I just need to get my house a little bit tidied up, and then I can invite the Holy Spirit in, and maybe then he can fill me with his power. Well, maybe there are things in your life that you need to bring into line with God's word and his truth. But you don't need to do that before you can have his spirit. It is the other way around. It's the opposite. You need his spirit in order to live a life that's honoring to God and fully sold out for him. Psalm 143 verse 10 says, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. We need his spirit to teach us how to live for God and to, and to lead us. God is not put off or intimidated by your chaos or your mess. In fact, the very first paragraph of the whole Bible makes it clear that transforming chaos is the Holy Spirit's speciality. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In ancient Hebrew culture, the waters, in verse 2, also described as the deep, they represented chaos and disorder. But notice that when the Holy Spirit is present, when he comes into contact with chaos, it literally says he he hovered over the face of the, the chaos waters, if you will. He brings it into order and life emerges. In the creation narrative that follows, God spoke to the chaos. And by the power of the Spirit, there was order and light and sky and land and plants and food and stars and animals and you and me. When confronted by chaos and darkness, the Holy Spirit always brings life and beauty. He does that in you when you first put your faith in Jesus. And he will do that over and over again when you ask him for more of his presence and more of his power in your life. So I want to encourage you, invite him in today, just as you are. We're going to do that right now. We're going to invite him in. So why do we stand? We're going to sing together. I want to invite you as you sing this to make it your your prayer this morning. We're going to sing, and we've got a little bit of time to respond after that as well.